Well, good morning. It is good to be with you this morning, to be able to bring our prayers and praises to our Lord, and also to hear the Word of God for us today. For God's Word this morning, we'll be reading from Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, I'll be reading verses 44 to 52. That should be on page 969 in your pew Bibles if you want to look there. Otherwise, it's on the screen. This is the word of the Lord for us today. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things, Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Well, Howard Jennings was an English real estate investor. He'd buy this chunk of land or that building or that apartment complex over there, and then he'd flip the purchase around, find a buyer, and make a few bucks or a few million pounds, actually, since he was English. Now, generally, Howard was good at making money for himself. But one day, he ran up against a group of really, really talented con artists. And these con artists were good at what they did. They were always stringing people along, giving them a line of lies and tricks, and then walking away with their cash. Over and over again, this group would get people to give them something and give them nothing in return. And one day, this group of con artists decided to try to sell Howard a pretty worthless piece of land near London. The trick this time is that they were going to convince Howard that that land had a gold mine underneath it. But Howard, was, Howard had been scammed before, so he's careful, and he's pretty suspicious. It's not real often that you get a chance to buy a gold mine in the middle of a big city for almost nothing. So these con artists have to work really hard to get this investor convinced that there is gold in that land right there. One of them poses as another real estate agent who's heard these weird rumors about this strangely attractive piece of land out there, but no one can figure out why it's attractive. Another of the con artists poses as the owner of the property, and he's just a crazy old man who wants a suitcase full of cash, and he will be off that land tomorrow. A third of the group poses as a geological expert who goes and who tests the land for Howard and says, yeah, there's a 95% chance there is gold in this place. Now, over time, Howard gradually begins to believe that he could buy the treasure in that land for almost nothing compared to what it was really worth. Eventually, Howard handed over a suitcase full of cash, 
and the con men walked off into the sunset. Once again, they'd gotten somebody to give them something in exchange for nothing. Now, of course, once the scam is over, once the show's wrapped up, Howard will eventually find out that there is no gold in that land. He can dig and dig and dig, but he will never find any treasure in that ground ever again. Now, sometimes when we hear Jesus talking about the worth of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, it's easy for us to respond like Howard did to those con artists. We're careful. We're suspicious. Maybe we've been scammed before, and we really don't want to give up something valuable and get nothing in return. Whatever the things are that we really value in our lives, it's hard for us to open up our hands and let those things go in exchange for something as out there, as nebulous, as uncertain in appearance as the kingdom of heaven. If we buy that land, if we invest in the kingdom, are we really going to find a treasure in the end? If we give up our lives to follow Jesus, will we end up finding out that we've given up something and ultimately gotten nothing in return? Now that's a fair set of questions, and it's those questions in part that Jesus is addressing through these parables. Earlier in Matthew 13, Jesus told a number of parables, a number of stories to the crowds, to unbelievers, to those on the outside looking in. But from verse 36 through here, the end of the chapter, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's talking to people who have already started following him, who've been on the journey with him. But these people still have questions. They still wonder what this kingdom is really worth. They still wonder what they're going to have to give up and what they're going to get in the end if they follow Jesus. These are not people who need a new revelation in order to believe. These are people who need a reminder to keep on pursuing the kingdom of God. Now often we too don't need new information in order to believe. We know the stories. We know who Jesus is. If it really comes down to it, we know the worth of the kingdom. But as we live day by day by day, it's easy to let all of that knowledge slip away. And so Jesus tells his disciples, and he tells us this morning, some stories that help to remind us of the worth of God's kingdom. Well, in the first story that Jesus tells, there's this treasure hidden in a field somewhere. Uh, the, um, in Jesus' time, there were no banks there were no safety deposit boxes. If you wanted to deposit something somewhere, the only way you could keep it safe would be by burying it in the ground somewhere. Often people would, for one reason or another, lose track of the treasure that they buried. So people had this hope that maybe you or maybe I someday would be digging in a field and we'd find a treasure in the ground. That wasn't a terribly realistic hope, but it was something that happened to people. And it seems like the, the man in this story is really pretty poor. The Israel of Jesus' time was not in good shape economically, and this man probably was at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder. He's a hired laborer. He's a day-by-day sort of person, making minimum wage and really, really struggling to make ends meet. He's working in someone else's field, and he is just barely getting by. And then one day, he's working along, and he comes upon this treasure buried in the field. And this is a treasure that could set him and his family up for the rest of his life. Up to that moment, he has been working his life away without much hope. 
But now, all of a sudden, he has this vision of the good life. So he covers the treasure back up. He runs home. He gets together everything he owns. Not that it's all that much. But then he runs to the market. He joyfully sells everything he has for whatever he can get for it right now. And then he goes and he buys that field. And in exchange for the little that this man is able to offer, in exchange for almost nothing, he gets a treasure that will take care of him for the rest of his life. Now, the reality of all of our situations is that we are poor people before God. We really don't own anything. Our possessions, our lives, everything that we have has already been given to us by God. But God comes to us in Jesus, and he gives us the opportunity of a lifetime, the opportunity to invest in God's kingdom, the opportunity to really, truly get something in exchange for basically nothing. In Jesus, we see God coming and giving everything he had in order to save us. In God's sight, we are among the greatest treasures in the universe. And so if you come today with empty hands, if you come today needing something to make your life worthwhile, to fill your life with meaning, the kingdom of heaven is for you. Really, truly, God will give you something. He will give you everything, even if you come to him with empty hands. But often today, and I suspect this is the case for many of us, we come to God with hands that are full. God has blessed us tremendously. We have so many good things in our lives, but when life is really good, it can be hard to envision giving all of that up for the kingdom. If your life is going just great, it can be hard to see how the kingdom can really be a good investment. Sometimes, if we're honest, we might wonder, is the kingdom really worth everything that I have. Well, for disciples who are still struggling with the worth of the kingdom compared to all these other things, Jesus tells a second story. And to understand this second story, we need to understand that in Jesus' time, pearls were the most expensive, most desired jewels of all. People thought about them a little bit about how we think of diamonds, but even more so. Even for just a small pearl, you would pay a lot. And for a large pearl, you would have to lay out a fortune. Now, the Jewish people after Jesus' time like to tell a story that illustrated a little bit what the worth of a pearl would be. Now, this story begins with a very wealthy but unnamed Gentile man. And one day, he had some astrologers predict to him that this Jewish guy called Joseph, who keeps the Sabbath, was going to eat all of this Gentile man's fortune. Well, obviously, this rich guy was a bit disappointed by that, and he was a schemer. So he went and he sold everything he had, all his land, all his possessions, everything. And he bought this one pearl because he thought he could keep that pearl safe from anything and anybody. But the way he kept this pearl safe was by putting it in his hat and keeping the hat on his head. But one day as he was crossing a bridge, this great gust of wind came up and blew the hat off his head. And the hat and all his treasure went right into the river. Now, at this point, the story has two morals. One is that you shouldn't really listen to what astrologers predict because that will only get you into trouble. And the other is some investment advice. Never put your treasure in your hat. Bury it in the ground. Put it in the bank. Don't put it in your hat. 
But anyway, the pearl goes into the river, a fish swallows it, and a few days later, someone catches the fish and takes it to market. And this Jewish guy, Joseph, who keeps the Sabbath, like a good observant Jew, is doing all of his shopping the day before the Sabbath. So he happens to buy this particular fish, and when he takes it home and he opens it up, he finds this fabulous pearl inside. And then he goes and he sells that pearl for 13 rooms full of gold pieces. Imagine if you had come to church this morning and this sanctuary was packed full of suitcase upon suitcase upon suitcase upon suitcase of money. This whole place packed full of cash. In Jesus' parable, he is talking about a pearl that is worth that much and more. And in that parable, that rich man is really, really wealthy. The language here is emphatic. This guy is a big deal. He was probably a wholesaler who was making huge deals, trading in precious commodities, and making massive profits for himself. So when that merchant went and sold everything that he had, this was a huge transaction. This is not a man having a little yard sale to get rid of some of his junk. This is a man liquidating inventory, selling off business concerns, and dismantling a whole economic empire. This merchant is collecting our equivalent of suitcases upon suitcases upon suitcases full of cash. And then at the end of the story, he takes all of that wealth, he gets it all together, and he trades it all for just one pearl. This is the most valuable thing you can imagine. This rich man knows what things are worth. He has a lot of things, but he is willing to trade all of that, his whole life's work, for just this one thing. In all of our lives, the kingdom of heaven can be that one thing. We can't really buy the kingdom, of course, but if we pursue it, it will cost us everything we have. It will cost us our lives. But it is worth it. No matter how much we have, no matter how great our lives are, investing in the kingdom always brings an eternal, enduring investment. Whatever we leave behind, whatever we give up to follow God, our Lord has guaranteed us that he will give us a hundred times more back along with eternal life. Now in Matthew 13, after Jesus tells these two encouraging parables, he goes on and he tells another parable that's quite a bit darker. In that parable, some fishermen let a net down and they drag a bunch of fish up onto the shore. And they sit down and they collect the good fish, but they throw the bad fish away. And it turns out, as Jesus interprets it, that this parable is about the end of the world when the wicked will be separated out and thrown into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, this story, well, it isn't such a nice story. When we hear this parable, it's easy for us to conjure up images of wrath and destruction, of fire and flames, of being sinners in the hands of an angry God. And sometimes we need to hear that, and there's truth there. God is terribly angry about evil, about injustice, and about sin, and he will one day make everything right. 
Someday, God's kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But it's not just that God is going to come at the end of time and blast everybody who's decided not to invest in the kingdom. It's just as much that in the end, the bad fish, the people who choose not to invest in the kingdom, don't have anything worthwhile left in them. The word that this parable uses for the bad fish could just as well be translated worthless or decayed. When the fishermen sit down, they are sorting out the fish that are inedible. They're rotten. They're unclean. They're useless. Even if they wanted to, there is nothing they could do with those fish. They aren't good for anything anymore. And so basically, those fish are just thrown into the cosmic incinerator because there is nothing else that anybody can do with them. How we invest our lives in the here and now has eternal consequences. Earlier I said that if we invest in the kingdom, we'll be guaranteed a great return on that investment. But if we take that too far, it can sound as if there's this spiritual stock market out there. As if you could go to a spiritual stockbroker and he'd say, yeah, the kingdom of heaven has a heavy upfront cost, but the benefits long term are great. But if you invest in some earthly pleasures, then yeah, the long-term benefits will be okay, and you can start enjoying some things right now. That is not how it works. There is no spiritual stock market. There is one treasure. There is one pearl. At the end, we will either have it or we won't. What we value, those things that we treasure in the here and now, the things that really define who we are, well, they end up reshaping us into their own image. In the end, we become reflections of what we treasure. If you seek first the kingdom of heaven, you will have everything that you need forever. But if you run after other treasures, you'll find in the end that everything becomes empty and worthless. Often when we think of the fiery furnace, we think of it as this place of punishment. But it's just as much a place of regret. People in the fiery furnace are weeping and gnashing their teeth because they wish they had more in their lives, because everything that they valued, because all of their treasures have turned to smoke and ashes. And so they weep and they gnash their teeth. <clears throat> I wish I hadn't done that. Man, I wish I had more in my life. <clears throat> If only I hadn't made those rotten choices. No job, no car, no house, no lifestyle can bear the full weight of eternity. If we make our treasure anything except the kingdom of heaven, our treasure will rot or fade or slip away. And if we've wrapped our hearts around those treasures, we'll find that we ourselves rot or fade, or slip away. If our treasure is something without enduring worth, we will wake up one day and realize that our lives have become worthless. And then we will weep and gnash our teeth because we have passed up the chance to buy the greatest treasure in the universe in exchange for some lesser thing that's evaporated and left us empty forever. Now in that story I told at the beginning, Howard was set up to be ripped off. The gold in that land was just a scam. 
If he bought that land to get the treasure, he was going to lose. But still, Howard bought the lie. He gave up something, and he got basically nothing in return. But in God's economy, that's not how it works. We can come to God with nothing, and he will give us everything. There are no scams. There are no tricks. Jesus is not a con artist. The kingdom of heaven is worth everything we have, and we are guaranteed a good return on that investment. Seek first the kingdom of heaven, and you will be guaranteed an eternal return on that investment, whatever it costs you. So today, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves never break in and steal. For where your heart is, there, there, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, both now and forever.